a listener production. Dylan Orcott, you've got your shades on today, your big shades. You've got your party singlet on. We've got it's festival time, baby. Festival time is upon us as we get into the summer months. It is very exciting to announce that Ability Fest. With all the drama that happened in Victoria, and we both live in Victoria, full disclosure, uh, it's it's going ahead. 27th of November. That's going to be amazing. The first music festival back, big major music festival back in Victoria. Two stages. Um, if you don't know what we do at Ability Fest, it's like festival like any other, like mm-hmm. Beyond the Valley, like Falls, like Coachella. We just have some added accessibility features so people with disability can come with their able-bodied mates and have a good time. Auslan on stage, pathways, platforms, sensory area for people with um, sensory disabilities, non-physical disabilities. Mate, rip a day, 100% of the proceeds go to uh, the Dylan Orcott Foundation, which is our foundation to help young Aussies with disability achieve their dreams. If you haven't got a ticket, do it. Lineup is make sure you go check it out because it is going to be a ripper. And the MC on the day sucks as well. So Yeah, it's me. Yeah. So, yeah, make sure you get tickets if you haven't. Huge lineup. Huge lineup. Peking Dark, Illy, What's So Not, Alex the Astronaut. Uh, it's going to be amazing. That last thing. So many great bands, musicians, mm. people with disabilities as well, rudely interrupted, inclusive, a rap group, people with disabilities. Um, it's going to be sick. So, if you can't come, still buy a ticket because it goes to a very, very good home. Does. And um, we'll be doing a donation on stage, which also has a bit of a listenable flavor, which you'll hear about in the new year. Abilityfest.com.au to get your tickets. Uh, we'll see you there. Hopefully, if you're in Victoria, come and party with us and have a beer or a soft drink if you're around. But it's not about us, Dylan, this episode. Of course, it's always about our guests as we try and normalise disability. And great to be back in the seat, not doing records from pre-Tokyo times. And we've got a, an incredible guest on the show this week. About around a disability that I'm going to be honest, I don't know anything about. No idea. I'm coming in fresh. We're actually not even sure how to say the we, cinnamon. We don't even. Acronym. We don't want to, yeah, I don't want to stuff it up. All right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I think that's why we do this podcast. You know, mm. I have a disability myself and people think I know everything about every disability and it's the same for other people with disability, but it's not the case. You know yep. what I mean? And we're always learning and so is everybody listening. So hence why we're so excited for today. So you don't know every other person in a wheelchair? I do actually. Yeah. Okay. We all, we all go to this so club Great. and there's heaps of ramps. Yeah, I thought it was a Facebook group. Yeah. All right. Let's let our next guest introduce themselves. Hi, my name's Anya Christofson. Thank you so much for having me. I'm 23 years old. I'm based in Brisbane. I'm the co-founder and co-director of Champion Health Agency, speaker, author, um, and disability advocate amongst an abundance of other roles. Can you explain first and foremost before we get into what does your organization do? So we actually represent people with disability, chronic illness and carers to professionalise their lived experience. So what we're aiming to do is basically get them using their lived experience to have a career in a really flexible way and not just in health, but in all different sectors. I love that. So whether this is as speakers or as researchers or in focus groups, but we basically make personalised management plans for them um, and send them off into the world. And what is your disability? So it's called Vactral Association. Okay. I don't really know how to pronounce it either because no one says it because it's so rare. Right. Okay. But so if we stuff it up, we feel less bad. All right. So yeah, say it exactly. one more time just for us. Vactral. Is that right? Vactral. Okay. So it's an acronym that affects one in 10,000 to one in 40,000. And it stands for vertebral anal cardiac tracheal, which and esophageal, so food pipe, air pipe, renal and limb. 
So you have to have three abnormalities to qualify. I had all except limbs. So all my malformations were inside my body, not outside my body. So I can go into each of those, what each of them mean, if you'd like. Absolutely. 1,000%. Because what you just said is it's literally every part of your body pretty much, minus the the brain, I think. Is that correct? Yep, that, that is correct. And looking at me, you just cannot tell. So for so long, I didn't even identify as being a part of the disability community. And especially having a rare condition, I think that separated me even more. So in terms of my vertebral abnormalities, I have hemivertebra. So part of my vertebra are actually half formed. Um, I have an extra lumbar vertebra, which helped me with my height. So I was a little bit extra, t- extra tall. Um, I have congenital scoliosis, so some curvature of my spine. Do you mind if I just inter- I interrupt have- as you're going, just because yeah. I don't want to get to Go. the other parts. You've got damaged vertebrae. Does that affect your spinal cord in the sense that you have loss of function, feeling, paraple- incomplete, paraplegia, quadriplegia? Where do you land? So I'm actually really lucky. I haven't had a lot that it's affected my spine. I do have sacralogenesis. So part of the bones in my sacrum are missing, which affects a lot of my pelvic sensations. So I can't feel a lot of my pelvic sensations, but apart from that, my spine, spinal cord is good. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Very lucky. And the scoliosis as well. Yeah. Scoliosis, just a bit of pain, but yeah. I've been lucky. I haven't had brace, like a spinal brace. Beautiful. So, All right. Yeah. What else? Keep them coming. I'm enjoying this. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is the, 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 the shopping list of disability. Is, this is awesome. <laughs> so the exciting one is um, A for anal. Um, and I was born with a cloaca. So this is the most complex anorectal malformation. And a cloaca is what what birds have, actually. So it's just one opening instead of as a woman, you usually have three. I'd assume that you boys would know that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had my intestine and two vaginas and a urethra all going into one opening coming out of my body. Um, Two uteruses, two cervixes. You got to have Angus's face. I've just got to, I know this is an audio medium, but Angus's mind just got blown. Why is your mind blown? I'm still stuck on three. Is mouth one? What? <laughs> We're talking about pelvic openings. Come on. Come on. There's the you vaginal. Know, wait, wait, stop, stop. Vaginal and anal. No, but where. Belly lip, button. No, where you do a wee when you're a female is different to where you have the sex, you know, like the babies come uh, out. Okay. Oh, my God. No, I knew that. Well, okay. that's the three. Well, I didn't know, but that's like a same area. Okay, okay. cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm so glad I could teach you something. Did you think Thank women you very did much. A, did, I have a child. Did you think they did a wee out of the same spot? No, where? I didn't think that. But you I, did. It's the same. Hang on. No, hang on. No, no, no. So I, you just said it publicly that that is what you thought there was two. That everyone is nodding. Well, everyone else is female. Yeah, I'm not. I knew that. Okay. Okay, well, um, thank you very much for hopefully informing. I'm playing the dumb guys oh. so that everyone else at home can not feel so bad for not knowing that there was three. So uh, my apologies for that. And then you really rush past some incredible stuff. So you have one opening where someone else has, normally would have three, but like multiple cervixes and... Yeah, so one opening that went into four basically. So the two vaginas, urethra and intestines. And then you had the two uteruses and the t- two cervixes sitting at the bottom of the uteruses and then one ovary off each uterus. So because I only had the one opening coming out when I was born, it wasn't functional. Oh. I couldn't get things out of my body, obviously, because it would all contaminate. So I had to have a colostomy, which is the bowel for the, um, or the bag for the bowel and um, a vesicostomy, which is the bag for the bladder, just to be able to get waste out of my body when I was born. So that surgery happened at five hours old. Oh my um, and goodness. then at seven months, I was cut 
literally from front to back to the base of my spine. Um, and I had all three openings reconstructed. I was going to ask but unfortunately, that. Unfortunately, yeah, how does that go? How, especially 20 years ago, I imagine, probably yeah. a lot harder than today. What's the plan? Can I, is there such thing as artificial like ways to, to, to try and help? I don't think so. They really haven't made much progress is my understanding. They still do the same surgery that they did on me when I was a child. Um, but what that meant is I had to go through a process of dilatation for both my anal opening and my vagina to get them a functional size. But in terms of an anal sphincter and bowel control, because that was impacted by my spine as well, I didn't have a natural anal sphincter. I didn't have those muscles. I didn't have nerves. I didn't have anything to be able to actually control my bowel. So from that reconstruction until now, I had bowel incontinence and there was absolutely nothing that anyone could do to stop that. Wow. I mean, incredible that the ability to be able to help you from birth to, you know, where we are now. Before this, I had no idea what Vactra was, didn't know it existed before we, you know, uh, got to your email. But the, this is just mind-blowing that this could happen and that reconstructive surgery exists. You, you also thought that women pee out of the same area. You have the sexy times. No, 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 I did, you no, did. no, 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 no. That is what no, you thought. I was playing it for people at home who no, didn't understand that's what you that. thought. No, what, that's what you didn't we're, understand was I understood. We're going to come back to this area because I want to know more, but let's finish the acronym. Mm, C. Yeah. C. C's cardiac, hole in my heart at birth. Oh. Very, very lucky. It healed itself okay. before I needed surgery. You were having a rough... So- Time early on. That is just <laughs> yeah. shocking so luck. That thankfully was just parked. Um, I have some heart issues now. Take a beta blocker. It's fine. Okay. Um, so TE, so the E is for esophageal because it's American spelling. Um, so my food pipe was joined into my air pipe going into my lungs and not joined into my stomach at all. So that also had to be reconstructed what? when I was five hours old. But what that actually meant was that my air pipe was collapsed into a figure eight, which is called tracheobronchomalacia. Um, So my bronchiole and trachea figure eight, so it was difficult to breathe. Um, But also my swallowing, they accidentally severed through both of my vagus nerves in that surgery at five hours old. So that controls a lot of your esophageal contractions and other things like that. Um, So my esophagus is only functional by gravity. So they say that on your esophageal pressure test, that if you're under 100 of esophageal pressure, that you have a not functioning esophagus. Mine was eight. So it's the worst that any of my specialists has ever seen. Um, So not too good. So what do we do about that? Nothing. So hang on. I'm hungover in bed. Mm -hmm. I reach over to get a water because I'm parched. I have a sip on my side, spill some on the sheets, but still I get some water in. That's not possible for you. You'd have to be sitting upwards. Yeah, it would basically just kind of flow back <laughs> back and forth. And horizontally, I'd have to tilt myself back up. Um, so I actually have some bricks under the top of my bed. So my bed's on a little bit of a tilt. It's, yeah. I used to have the opposite of that, just side fact, because oh, really? my, I get poor circulation, obviously, because I'm always sitting upright. So my legs were higher. So the blood flow would go to my head. So I get better circulation through my legs. Oh, okay. I, haven't, I think I've said amazing. that on this podcast, a little oh, fast fact. Fun facts. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So that is still like that today. They, you can't really do much to fix that, correct? Yeah, so nothing to do. Unfortunately, my swallowing has somehow gotten worse, which I didn't think that was would be possible. So sometimes when I eat, I cough and my voice changes and it's a bit dramatic. But 
the only thing that they can do is an esophagectomy where they take your entire esophagus out, which is what they do for esophageal cancer patients, um, and then reconstruct it out of stomach tissue. But that's not going to leave me in a better place. So it's kind of one of those things that you just live with. R is renal. So pretty easy, only one single kidney. So most people have two, mm-hmm. Angus, just in case we didn't know Thank that. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, always welcome, good to just welcome. double check the uh, <laughs> biology and anatomy with me, please, going forward. Yeah. All right. Um, so only one single kidney, no major issues, healthy kidney, um, but just some recurrent like UTIs and yeah. infections and hey, things like shout that. shout out to I, I had renal failure as a kid. I'm one kidney. Yeah. I'm one kidney and the other one's Ooh. probably like a point two of a kidney. Does that make sense? It's there, but my spine was so crooked with scoliosis, it, it's bulging into it, so it doesn't work very well. So, hey, we're on the same page. Oh, nice. Good job. There you go. Can, can I ask if you, or we can play, if you don't want to, anything on this podcast, if you don't want to answer, go for it. But can you go to the bathroom normally? Can you? Yeah. yeah. So thankfully that's normal. The only thing that happened was somehow when I grew from, when they created the, my three openings, um, it grew into just two openings. So when I was 15, 16, I had just all these examinations and tests and they realized my urethra had grown to be inside my vaginal opening. Um, so that's just been an issue with infections, but I still, yeah. I guess, go to the bathroom in my normal. Um, but now I'm the woman that Angus expects. Exactly. Not not I, I didn't know if I could yeah. say it, it, but I I'm like, so Angus was right. I knew it. He, he was I'd right. actually you, done my research oh, on you, Anya, and I knew is, that and I was I was yeah, probably getting a little bit too forward earlier in the interview to allow you to discuss and it, this. And you can come back anytime, yeah. right? This is my I kind had of to drop chat. that bombshell. Okay. This yeah. is uh-huh. good okay. stuff. So that's No, no, we're uh, that at all. No, L. L limb, no oh, problem. Okay, just checking. Just want to hear. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever thought of just chopping a few fingers off just to get the L as well? <laughs> Maybe. Okay, Maybe we'll see how we go. Just happening. together. Sure. The Holy Trinity. Yeah. Get them all. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Thanos in Avengers. Hey, I finally right? got all the crystals. Oh, I'm the full Vactral. <laughs> oh, God. Hey. Um, so you came into the studio today and you have a nose piece. Is that to assist with oxygen or is that to assist with sustagen? What, what, what's, what's happening with this? This is the sustagen. Yeah. yeah. So unfortunately over the past 18 months I've lost quite a ridiculous amount of weight. Um, and it was after a surgery that I probably should never have had. Mm. Um, and it was actually for reflux. So they wrap, it's called a fungiplication surgery. You might have heard of it. Mm. Wrap the stomach around the bottom of the esophagus. Unfortunately, wrapped it a little bit too tight to me. So I couldn't get any food or water into my stomach for the 11 days that I spent in hospital. Oh, wow. um, lost a lot of weight in that time. I think I dropped six kilos in those 10 days. Um, and then it just put my body into a really strange metabolism pattern. So even though I can consume double the amount of calories I was consuming before, my body's just losing weight. So trying to just put whatever we can in eating large KFC meals, whatever. It's, wow. <laughs> it's not funny, but I'm so keen on that. I'd love to be able to eat KFC. Right? You're exactly right. <laughs> I can't. Um, if I eat KFC, I jiggle for four weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> shout out to KFC if you want to sponsor the podcast. Um <laughs> Can I say endorsement with the reef? So we can't see behind you. You've, we can obviously because we're in different studio places. We've got you've got the tube going into your nose. Do you have like a little? What's it attached to? Like a pack or something? Oh, just that. Oh, that is. It's t- can you explain yeah, it to it's us? Just, oh, you haven't okay, attached sorry. it to your food sachet. No, no, yeah. no. Oh. So it's just like a little kind of almost like a cannula yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah. And then, I don't know the technical word. Yeah. So you basically just get a syringe and you fill it with the feed and then squeeze it through the syringe into the tube. Has yeah. the feed got taste? Unfortunately, but obviously because it goes directly into my stomach, I can't taste it. Okay. 
Um, but you can smell it and it yeah. just smells like sickly sweet caramel milkshake, mm. which should oh, be appealing. It would be high, high calorie. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Pro- and it has got protein and, and fats and everything in it or just? Yeah, protein, fats, sugar. Cool. It's supposed to have all nutrients, but honestly, it just smells like sugary yeah. syrup. Yeah. You um, have spoken about in your book as well, which you mentioned behind the smile. We'll get into that soon. But you've spoken about you had, in your words, traumatic hospital experiences. Do you want to speak about some of those? Maybe, I mean, maybe the reflux might be one of them, but is there any other stories that stick out for you? Yeah, I've had a lot of traumatic hospital experiences and it's hard to not throw anyone under the bus, but mm. I think yeah, it's really careful. important. <laughs> yeah, don't want to get us all sued. I'm the same. Um, I've had some shockers. You've got to tiptoe. <laughs> But I think it, it's so important to talk about because I think so many other people, at least in my community, that have had you know rare conditions have these traumatic experiences, especially and get you know PTSD from being in medical settings so frequently. Um, so one of the experiences I had, which is probably one of the most traumatic, um, was when I was fifteen and I was going through this process called vaginal dilatation, which I briefly mentioned earlier. And so this was to prepare me to become sexually active because I wasn't actually able to be sexually active before that. And it was a process where you had to basically um, forcing to become bigger with these dilators. And I went in to see a gynecologist and it wasn't my usual gynecologist. And they basically were trying to push my capacity. And I was basically telling them, no, 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 no. This is too much until it got to a stage where I was being forced. And I literally had to scream and get this lady to pull it out of me. Um, after that, I was bleeding for a few days and I then had to be admitted into hospital and I was too scared basically to go back to that hospital. Um, so I went to another hospital and was in there for quite a few days. And then obviously that set all of this progress back. Um, and I think that a lot of the time you don't realize that these kinds of traumatic experiences have a lot of impact on everything outside of your hospital life. Oh, um, so sure. I think it's really important to actually just discuss them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what my partner Chantelle, who's a sexologist, she helps women through the dilation process as, as well. That's what she does. Uh-huh. That story is harrowing. And then, if I'm speaking out of turn, um, tell me I am. But of course, then you go out in the world, and that affects your sexual activity. You know, it's the same kind of stress of that would be tough. You know. Absolutely. And I was, you know, 15, 16 at the time. I had not been sexually active. That was like one of my first sexual experiences with a doctor, you know? Um, And so, of course, after that, I had no interest in continuing dilatations and that set me back significantly. Um, So I think, you know, it, it does have a massive impact. That's, yeah. that's where, you know, what, what you do at your organisation, I've got a consulting company called GSA where we educate people about disability and every single one of our consultants has a disability, all 50 of them. That's where lived experience comes in because the medical industry, yeah. hospitals, nurses, everyone does such a great job. But If you don't know anybody with a disability, you've read the manual, that person's read the manual and goes, this is what i got to do. It's like, no, 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 no. You've got to listen to someone who's had experience in that and how that can affect them in their everyday life. And I remember I had an operation when I was about 11 and I was like, I don't want to get this absolute weapon anywhere near me. Like his bedside manner was so bad. I could not hate him anymore. Guess what happened? Stuffed up. And I just knew that I felt like I was just, you know, there's eight people today for the operation. Let's bang, 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 bang. I was like, excuse me, maybe for, you know, someone who is able-bodied who's their own one and only time in hospital, but when you've been there your whole life, it affects you, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think it's all about bringing that humanity into healthcare. You know, when you change the narrative and it's not just statistics, but you incorporate that lived experience element and it's humanity. Mm. I think that's when everything just changes and it has the power to really change systems. 
Do you go see other professionals to try and get, you know, that confidence back with your body? Uh, how do you overcome that? Or are you still trying to overcome that sort of hurdle of those early steps when you're 15? Um, I think at that time, I really just pushed on with it, to be honest. I didn't see anybody until mid last year, really. Yeah. Because I spent a lot of time alone and I don't know if you can relate to this, Dylan, but I was in a hospital bed a lot of the time by myself for mm. most, most of my life. Um, so you think a lot and you work things out. And I was used to that introspection. And because I was so used to that, I could deal with it and I could push through. Yeah, I agree. You got to be yeah. careful with that. But I think I know better than most doctors because I careful. actually do know my body. But then if something I've actually, as you get up, any young person with a disability, trust me, you know your body well, but then when something different happens, get it checked. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm always like, no, nah, nah, I was a bit of a legend in my early 20s and it got me into trouble a couple of times. But in saying that, I've had experiences where I'm like, I don't think, I don't think that's right with the doctor. And I've been right, you know, but it's important because you can't put us into boxes because every single person with a disability is some way different. You know what I mean? And it is a bit of yeah. trial and error. Um, you learn your body so well, don't you? You really do. And yep. you make really good decisions about it. And I'm probably the fittest and healthiest and happiest I've been just because I've had experience. Exactly. So 35 surgeries, 150 hospital admissions, a lot of nights by yourself, a lot of time to yourself. But for the first 19 years of your life, uh, you've talked about feeling that you needed to be silent to be accepted. Um, what was that turning point and how did you come to that moment? So the turning point for me was for some reason, I thought that this was something that I could just grow out of. I think it came down to that medical model of disability that I could be fixed. Um, and I thought that, you know, I spent my first five years of life really, really in, in hospital all the time almost. Um, and then I almost got well. And I thought that this was going to be, you know, I beat, I beat it. Um, and then I was going to have, you know, a normal life to use that horrible word. Um, and suddenly I was 15 and I got really unwell while I was in school and no one could work out what was wrong. Um, and I didn't know when or if I was ever going to get better. So I had to drop out of high school. But then I somehow thought that that was just a period of time in my life that I would somehow get through. Um, but then it got to 2017. And in 2017, I had three abdominal surgeries in eight months. And in these surgeries, I thought that, you know, I was just a, a typical young teenage girl needing to have, you know, a surgery to remove a tubo ovarian abscess, right? And they went in to operate on me and they cut me open and they couldn't operate because everything was matted together with scar tissue. And it was so, so severe. And they basically closed me up and they said, you know, you might, if we go in to reoperate, you might need a kidney transplant because if we, you know, nick the ureter from your kidney that's wrapped up in the scar tissue, yeah. that's a huge risk. Don't be doing that. You might, <laughs> right? You might need an ostomy because the risk to bowel damage is high. Like, the, you know, the main um, blood supply to your leg is also wrapped up in there. Like, there's, there's such high risk that maybe we just leave this huge growth inside you. So I basically had this huge kind of decision to make. And, you know, I was really young um, and I ended up having to go ahead with this emergency surgery a few weeks or a few months after because I was just in and out of hospital just so often and the lump had now grown to 10 by 13 centimetres inside me. You could see it coming out of my body. Um, went through that surgery, really, really tough recovery. And within a few months, I had a cyst in my other ovary and they had to go back in again. Um, thankfully, everything went really well in all of these surgeries. But what it made me realize was surely I can't be the only one with Bacteria living in this world. Um, there must be others and how are they going? So I started to reach out to the community. 
um, in just like those online Facebook support groups. And I started to share my story. And as soon as I shared my story, I saw the value in, in that story um, and the recognition and how it could actually change people's lives. And when I saw that power um, that my story could have in actually making a difference, there was no question about it. I just had to go for it. Are you, your family and medical professionals, like just in all that you're still kicking and alive? Like with the amount of things that have happened, it's just, you know, it sounds incredible. Have you beat the odds? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really seems like it. It's every so often I go through this, you know, new disaster that pops up and everyone gets concerned and is worried that, you know, maybe this time it's the the decline and I'm kind of in the middle of one of those at the moment. But every time I seem to pull through and be okay. And I think it's because there's something that I'm, I've got left to do. (laughs) A lot of things actually. Yeah. You, you kicked off your own intro and you spoke about all the things uh, that you're doing and, and I'm sure there's more things in the future you'll continue to do. But one of the things that, you know, uh, you've spoken about and, and you can see if people to Google your name, we'll have it on our socials as well, is that you did take part in a, I guess, what could be a traditional beauty pageant. What was the purpose for you to go into that and what was the hope that you were going to get from it? So I had been modeling since I was about 15 or 16 and going into beauty pageantry was actually quite a transition. Um, I thought that it was going to be really the same, um, but it's quite a different world. You have to, you know, walk differently, dress differently and, you know, you're a lot more bubbly and smiley, which in modeling I was used to, you know, never smiling, (laughs) which I preferred to be honest. (laughs) So suddenly I was in a new world. I had my incredible co-founder of Champion, Mary, um, who was helping to train me for the pageant and who's been my manager in modeling for seven years before she, before I dragged her into the health space. Um, And... I just thought that it was time for me to move a little bit more away from the modeling space to the pageantry space, at least for a little adventure, because I didn't want to just be seen anymore, but I wanted to be heard. I wanted to actually stand for something. And even though pageants don't really seem like they stand for much to people that could be exterior to the world, you know, there's that charity fundraising component, there's a speaking component, there's an interview component. So I knew that I could actually showcase that, you know, I'm a young person with a disability that is a rare disability. I have incontinence. I'm going to stand up on that stage. I'm going to be proud. I'm going to have my scars out. I'm going to be wearing a tiny little white bikini while I've got bowel incontinence and I'm just going to go for it. And I was on stage with the most incredible women that were all so well-spoken. And I ended up coming second in Australia, which was just a little bit of a fluke, I'd like to say, but hey. I did work very, very hard for it. Yeah. So, Nothing's given. Yeah. Who won? Get rid of them. Put them in the bin. Oh, been she was great. Okay, she good. was great. She's a nurse, so we got to keep fair her. Enough, fair okay, enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wheel that one back, mate. <laughs> um, can I ask you about the when you started modelling? So you got your tube coming out of your nose at the moment. As we said, you got scars. Talk me through the modelling industry because as someone in a wheelchair, we were just told to ship off. What was your experience like through that? Well, absolutely the same as how you've just described, really. Like it's quite tokenistic and quite like you're excluded really Mm. in the most part. And if I didn't have, you know, the agent that I had taking a chance on me and I wouldn't have really had the shot that I had. Um, So when I first started, I went to a modeling agency and I had an interview and they asked if I had any scars. I said, yes, (laughs) of course. They asked to see them. I showed them my stomach. Um, and they were like, no, well, if you want to model, you can't show your stomach ever, you know, no one's going to want to book you. And even though that was, you know, still a while ago now, 
it was at a time where diversity and inclusion was starting to come into the space a little bit more where at least they were like, if you have a scar or something, we can Photoshop it out. Okay. So it was kind of at least at that stage where they're like, well, if you've got something, then, you know, we'll fix it for you. So it seemed like you could be anyone and still be in that space, um, even if you weren't able to show your representation. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I could still be accepted here. But the truth from that agency's perspective, at least, was that I couldn't be accepted if I had scars on my stomach. Um, so that was a little bit of a kick in the guts. And I kind of ventured into the more broad fashion space for a while before I found the agency that I ended up being represented by. Um, I got signed on a three-month development contract. I worked so, so, so hard. And within one month, I was extended to a 12-month contract because I booked um, quite a bit of work. And then within a year of that, I was over in Amsterdam and I walked Amsterdam Fashion Week the day before my 18th birthday, which was just my hugest goal. Um, But it wasn't easy. It wasn't, you know, I basically had to keep my kind of disability hidden, Mm. really. It wasn't necessarily as a representation. It was more like it was a representation to me and it was going to be a representation when I could tell my story afterwards. But at the time it was more just trying to blend in with everybody else. So I could be accepted in that world, which as soon as they realized that you had scars, you could not be accepted because either you did not look, I guess, disabled enough in terms of their perception, if they're wanting to hire you as a kind of diversity inclusion model, or you don't look model enough. Mm. So Tough space. In a brutal industry. Yeah, it's hard, You'd it? rather yeah. be, they'd rather you be an amputee. Oh, I just got one leg. Boom. Mm. Should have had the limb part of Bactrol, mm. hey. Yeah, see, you need the, yeah. the Bactrol. You're not the Bactrol. <laughs> got, got ripped off. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have three bowl of uncomfortable questions for you. Good. So the bowl of uncomfortable <laughs> is where people send through from our socials a question they wouldn't feel comfortable asking you face-to-face or at least maybe they would if they got to get to know you, but they charge us uh, with the responsibility of doing that. I mean, this person's attempted to make humour without knowing you so i'll let you uh, if you find this funny good for you uh what preparation goes into making sure the term i'm shitting myself doesn't come into play literally for you on a runway i love them people people are realizing that more and more that we're so comfortable being ourselves so they've just got looser and looser which is good well i think that's kind of broken the ice for me to say shitting now so i'm really glad about that so right now i'm in a little bit of a difficult situation with my health. But before then I used to do this thing called a bowel washout, I guess, or that's what I called it at least. And that was a rectal irrigation. So basically um, like a rectal enema with a one liter water flush. So I used to do that before runways to make sure that I was clear and I wouldn't really have very many accidents. Um, So I think trial and error, um, praying to whatever God you believe in. Probably. Do you still Best roll, roll with that setup just for everyday life as well or is it a bit less complicated because there's, you know, less risk if it happens? Yeah, well, so I roll with that setup really for everyday life until a few months ago when I started having more complications with my health because all of my scar tissue is now wrapped yeah. everything up and is obstructing my bowel. So, yeah, but otherwise I would recommend that system to people that, you know, deal with incontinence because it works so well. Able-bodied people do that as well, to be honest. Like, you know, if they're feeling yeah. good in the guts. So, you know, yeah, it, it's... Um, Hell, it's, it's fashionable. Second question, it's in the same vein. Do you wear adult diapers? And if so, how do you own that? Um, I hadn't really been a big adult diaper wearer. I usually just wore pads, but the more that you have issues with, I guess, like bowel cleanouts and things like that, I had to venture a little bit into the adult diaper space occasionally. Mm-hmm. Look, 
it's it's a tough one. I think it can be really difficult to like wear things under clothes because a lot of the clothes that I wear are tight. So yeah, I think you just have to own it. Like I think it gives you a security and peace of mind that you just wouldn't have without them. Um, so you just have to go for it if that's what you need. Um, but if it's not what you need, then I guess you're just a really, really privileged person. And the third yeah. question kind of wraps up our chat with you, but also encompasses a lot of what we've spoken about. How do you have a conversation with somebody that you might be interested in on basically what Vactoral is? You know, is it first date just to weed out people who wouldn't be interested? Do you save it to the third date and hope that they're still interested? How does it happen? Well, look, so when I first started dating and I wasn't able to have uh, or wasn't even able to be sexually active, I'd have to just, you know, go on the first date, sit down and be like, hey, guess what? I can't have sex with you and (laughs) never call me back. So weird, right? Um, So it would come out really at the beginning. And now I think that it's pretty clear on my public profile that I'm just an incontinent young woman with factual. So, um, someone should yeah, have Googled you. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's up to yeah. them. You shouldn't be rocking up to a Mexican restaurant going, yeah. hang on, sorry, what? Just send them this, send them, links. Hey, yeah. send them this podcast. Right? Just, just learn about me before and then you sort it. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Well, Get you made lessons. that. That's good. Very non uncomfortable, in fact, comfortable. So thank you very much can, for answering those three questions. Can I ask you, you're, where do you want to see yourself? What do you want to do? Um, I think you're going to be a pretty big, a big voice and big player in the, which I like because it needs more and more, you know, where do you want to get to? Building, you know, champion health agency into an empire because I want to be able to support other people to do the things that I've loved doing and amplifying my own lived experience through speaking and writing and, you know, research and co-design and all of that. I want to be able to work with other people with disability, chronic illness, lived experience, and be able to cater that to them and bring them into community, be their cheerleaders, help them in whatever capacity that they um, are able to, you know, do. Um, that That's where I, where I want to be. And I see it, you know, expanding internationally. I see it being the powerhouse. I see instead of all disability consultants popping up everywhere that they can be under this one roof and that instead of people making decisions that are just sitting in power without this lived experience, that people with lived experience can actually be brought in to make the decisions that affect them. Angus, if you want to speak about somebody at a table, well, they need a seat at that table. Invite them to it. Uh, it's true. Exactly. Vactoral.com.au, which is V-A-C-T-E-R-L.com.au and at Anya Christofferson on Instagram. Of course, you can just Do we stuff that up? Say it yourself. Christofferson. At Anya Christofferson. Christofferson. What was Christofferson? It's very it's hard to miss. It's a misspell. No, here. don't blame Beth, our producer. She is. It's an accent, an actually. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we'll have all the links on our Instagram as well um, as this episode goes out. Thank you so much for your time. That was so, so yeah, enlightening. Yeah, learn a lot. I had no idea. No edge. And part- now I'll always go through life knowing a little bit more. You're a part of the family now. So look forward to hanging out with you. Appreciate it. Thank you. We still have two more episodes coming to you in 2022 before returning for, I guess, we haven't really put this down as Series 1, 2 or Season 1, 2 and 3, but I guess that's what it will be. Yeah, it's our third year. Third, third year. year we'll be cracking. Year. We're almost cracking the milli too. And on the next episode, we are featuring... My name is Taylor Clement. Um, I've just turned 24. 
Um, and I was born with an extremely rare neurological disorder called Noblia syndrome. Um, it affects my sixth and seventh cranial nerves. So that means um, my eyebrows don't move, my eyes don't trap from left to right, and my upper lip doesn't move. So it's basically like facial paralysis, or I like to refer to it as free Botox. So if my face- <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I was thinking in my head, Taylor? So my girlfriend, that's that's Chantel's dream. Um, but yeah, so if my future husband is listening to this right now, just know you won't have to pay for my Botox. <laughs> You'll have to wait two weeks to hear that story, or if you're behind and you're catching up, well, hopefully it should play right now. Listenable was presented by Dylan Orcott and Angus O'Loughlin. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Produced by Beth Gibson. We also hire people with disability, including Stephen Tower, who does our captions for YouTube. And our awesome theme song is made by Eliza Hull. Listener.